Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Benji Eisen with a, a little surprise encore for this episode. Tom and RJ left the building early to go buy sketchy veggie burritos on lot or, or something. But uh, here we have friend of the pod, keyboardist of Humphreys McGee, our friend Joel Cummins, who was there on the University of Illinois campus on this particular night 25 years ago today. Fall 97, walking out of Assembly Hall after Fish just performed the um, the four song second set that you guys just heard Tom, RJ, and Andy from Jambase talk about. Joel, this night was before Humphreys McGee formed as a band, I think, but you still went to the show with one of your future bandmates. Is that right? It's true. We had gotten together, I think, probably less than a week before this. And Ryan and Brennan had proposed to Mike Miro and I, Mike and I were playing together in another band called Stomper Bob, that we should both quit our bands and start a new band together because we all wanted to do this uh, live music thing as opposed to, you know, go get a uh, desk job like all of our other Notre Dame friends. So, uh yeah, Ryan and I and a couple other buddies. Ryan and I lived in the uh, same dorm, I think. I'm not sure it's still at this point, but definitely the year before that we did. And uh, go ahead. Back up for one second, Ryan Stasek. Ryan Stasek, yeah, the bassist of Humphreys McGee. So um, he, he basically, the way we met was he made me uh, ditch a class one day to go get coffee with him and listen to him ramble about how he wanted to be a musician, but his parents thought it was a terrible idea. So <laughs> that, that plays. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, uh, so accordingly, we, uh, we ditched, a, you know, another afternoon of classes together and made the drive from South Bend to Champaign, Illinois, uh, to Assembly Hall. And uh, I'd, I'd been, did they do a show there in 96? I was definitely there in 95. 
they did um, 95 and I I I drawing a blink in 96 now. I, I feel like they might have, but uh, who knows? Anyway, I'd been there before to see fish, so I kind of, you know, knew the lay of the land. And also being a Chicago guy, I'd visited friends at University of Illinois, so felt pretty comfortable making the trip down there and going to it. So we decided um, and... They, they, did, they did it on November 8th, 1996. That's right, because I, I have the tapes. I'm pretty sure I went to that one with Jeremy Welsh. So, uh, who's now the Umphreys McGee webmaster amongst, you know, he's a more famous architect than anything in our scene. But um, anyway, uh, we made the decision to uh, eat some shrooms on the way down to the show. And at that point, I was pretty in tune with how Fish was operating and how they were creating set lists. And um, I'd kind of, you know, once Humphrey started, that was the point where we all kind of had to turn it off and move on to our own respective careers and, you know, not try to emulate what those guys were doing. But at that point, you know, it was like 94, 95, 96, and 97. Those were the years where I was really into Fish and going to see lots of shows. And uh, so we went to the show and I don't really remember much about the first set, but I told Stasic at set break, they're gonna open with 2001. And when they walked out and did that, he just looked at me like, how the fuck did you know that? You know? And uh, so it was this well, great moment. the mushrooms on full bloom. Full bloom, yeah. I mean, I, I completely blew his mind at that point. And at some point late in 2001, you know, I mean, this was their, uh, their like cow funk period, right? So I looked at him and I was like, it's Wolfman's. They're going to Wolfman's. And they did it. And again, now he looks at me and he's like, you're insane, dude. What is it? How do you, did you see the set list? And I'm like, no. I'm like, I don't think they have a set list in advance. Trey just calls the songs, right? So um, what, was, what was the third song? I'm trying to remember what that was. Oh, I know I Taste was in there. It was a four, um, it was a, a four song second set and it goes it, from two thousand and one to Wolfman's brother to Matthew's Super Policeman, but you yes, know that we were yes. calling you that night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you need mushrooms so, now to, to go back and, and Yeah, to bring me back. Exactly, exactly. And so yeah, to and basically make a long story short, I called those last two songs too. And again, like two or three minutes before they started. It wasn't like they had moved on to the idea and I was like this is what's going to happen. Now, I'd looked at the previous set list, so I had an idea of what they were not going to play, you know? But, uh, yeah, we walked out of that show, and, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons, at least early on, Stasek had some respect for me. I feel like now <laughs> it's kind of waned, you know? But uh, those, early, those early days, yeah, we walked out of that show, and he was just like... I, I mean, you know, he was just speechless. He was like, I don't understand what happened. How, how did that happen? How did you know all this? Yeah, so, um, you know, I've got a decent knack for set lists. I would like, still like to think that uh, I'm okay at crafting a good set list. Did, uh, did you call the encore? I did not call the encore. I think I, 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 you know, at that point I was like, I'm good. I'm not going to uh, ruin my perfection here. <laughs> yeah. well, you, you got but, a, a four for four, which is 100% for need, a four song second set. Needless to say, it was an epic show. And it was one of those where I was like, wow, these guys are still crushing it. And I think, you know, at that point, it was kind of like, 
where do they take it from here? You know, and, and um, I think there's kind of a decent consensus that the Island tour of 98 was kind of the wrap up of that, that time period of that mode. Um, but, but to me, that was, you know, fish could still fire on all cylinders with songs like taste where, you know, Paige and Trey are just doing this beautiful melodic, you know, simple lines intertwining, uh, sort of thing, but they had that deep, dark, groovy funk thing that was going on. And, uh, I, there was something also, I just, I actually listened back to the set like a week ago and the crowds back then, I, I like, you know, I don't want to set up this 1.0, 2.0, 3.0 thing, but yeah. the, the energy of the crowds was just, it was uh, you could feel the the intensity and the youth and the you know there there was still that element of i think amongst the fan base there's something for there's something to prove and everybody was trying to tell their friends like no this is the greatest live band touring right now yeah and it was it was new and of course the fall 97 as you mentioned had that Funk energy to it that i agree i think the island tour was the exclamation mark for it but this whole fall 97 tour was one big unfolding story. Without a doubt, without a doubt, you know, and obviously all of those um, tunes from story of the ghost that were in the rotation, I think that were introduced like in the summer in Europe. Is that, is that right? That is right. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, you had, you had ghost obviously is kind of the centerpiece of that, but um, there was this sound, you know, meat, I think back to like that one. Um, there was there was just these these new songs that were in the catalog that provided Vulture. these yeah vultures that ex provided this sort of exploratory framework for that funkier sound for them. So um, you know it was it was definitely cool to be part of the fan base and you know really excited about this new material that they were coming out with and not knowing where they were going to take these things every night, but knowing that you were in for some sort of deep exploration every time. Yep. And you have the ghost and you have the black eyed Katie, but on this night, it's the Wolfman's brother that really, uh, you know, one of the greatest Wolfman's brothers of all time, I think. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Well, there you have it, folks. It was a story tonight, <laughs> not only for Fish, but also for Humphreys McGee. Uh, <laughs> things are sticking around for the encore. Uh, it's possum, by the way. Your end is still the road. Speaking still. of- we will see everyone two days from now, 25 years ago, that means, uh, when we set the flux capacitor on the DeLorean. I guess, actually, you know, I should say when we set the controls for the heart of the mothership, turning the knob to 1121 at Hampton Coliseum. Uh, I have a feeling about that one. Uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us. And thank you, Joel. Thanks, Benji. Osiris. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear. 
The people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments. The ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember. The ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.